G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. Welcome to On The Rock, God's unchanging word for changing times with Dr. Camille Majdali, Director of Teach All Nations, Melbourne, Australia. Dr. Camille lived and studied in the Middle East, served as a principal of a leading Bible college and now travels the world teaching God's word. He has an extraordinary knowledge of the Bible and a dynamic ability to make God's truth come alive in a real, practical way. This episode of On The Rock will give you keys to survive and succeed in the days ahead by hearing and doing the words of Jesus. The person that God uses in ministry will always be someone that's a work in progress. In today's program, we're going to see this very clearly as we learn more about the Apostle Paul and 2 Corinthians. Our series is entitled, Heartfelt and Inspired, Understanding 2 Corinthians, a verse-by-verse commentary. And here we're going to look at an apostle with a heart. It is so easy to live in misconception about the servant of God, man or woman. Oftentimes people put them on a pedestal. Other times people have unrealistic, utopian, and ridiculous expectations. As if these people were angelic, they don't eat food, they don't need any money, they just live on fresh air. And we deny the humanity of the servant of God again and again through all these fantasies that go on in our head. There are several important benefits of studying the book of 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians is, of course, a masterful epistle on different topics, topics that we will learn as we go along. Like, for example, the contrast between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. This is not just some abstract academic thing. It is a very powerful notion. Then there is, of course, detailed instructions, the most detailed in the whole Bible, chapters 8 and 9, about Christian giving. Friends, Blessing awaits the person who gives. It's not because God needs our money, but what we do is need to settle the ownership issue of who owns the money, and then once that happens, God is free to bless us as well as to rebuke the devourer for our sake. So many things to learn in 2 Corinthians, but one thing you will learn, and that's why this series is called Heartfelt and Inspired. You're going to look at the life of an apostle up close. You're going to see a very real person. In this particular regard, Paul is exceptional because he's probably one of the top two or three most influential people who ever lived, and yet he's still very human. Yes, he's a servant of God. He is a man of God. He is effective. He turned the world upside down. His legacy pays dividends every single day when people read the New Testament. And yet, he's still very human. This is what we'll see. But what we're going to note is that in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 to 5, this segment, verses 1 to 5, is talking about an apostle with a heart. That the apostle, Paul that is, makes a very charitable decision that he is going to delay visiting the church at Corinth, not because he doesn't love them, but because if he goes too soon, it could be an exceedingly painful visit, his second painful visit. And really, it hurts the church more than it hurts him. So as a father figure, he wants to spare them 
the pain. And he gives common sense reasoning because he doesn't want to make the people who he normally would have as joyful become sad. What's all the sadness about? Because there was a need for serious correction in the church, a need addressed in 1 Corinthians, and while most of the Corinthians had repented and came under Paul's leadership, there was a small group who were opposing. They were under false teachers, and they were causing lots of trouble. So he wants to troubleshoot. Therefore, instead of visiting, he sends them an epistle, and then he will follow up the epistle with a visit. But in verse 4 of 2 Corinthians 2, you're going to see that Paul really is an apostle with a heart. He writes to them in words like distress, anguish, affliction, and many tears. And his purpose is not to distress them. It's to demonstrate the depth of the love he has for the church. But ultimately, he says, I'm fine. But what about you? At the end of the day, servants of God care more about God and other people than about themselves. And for this reason, they are worthy of much honor. Let's take a look at the passage at hand. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 to 5. And our theme for this lesson is an apostle with a heart. Again, the reference is 2 Corinthians 2, verses 1 to 5. But I determined this with myself, that I would not come again to you in heaviness. For if I made you sorry, who is he then that maketh me glad, but the same which is made sorry by me? And I wrote this same unto you, lest when I came, I should have sorrow from them of whom I ought to rejoice, having confidence in you all, that my joy is the joy of you all. For out of much affliction and anguish of heart, I wrote unto you with many tears, not that you should be grieved, but you might know the love which I have more abundantly unto you. But if any have caused grief, he hath not grieved me, but in part, that I may not overcharge you all. Second Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 to 5. So let's take this verse by verse, and that's our purpose in the Understanding the Bible series, verse by verse commentary of God's Word, and of course, for those that get the whole series, we throw in the PDF notes. So it is, verse 1 of Second Corinthians 2, a charitable decision. What does it say? But I determined this within myself that I would not come again to you in sorrow. Well, Paul made one painful visit, and apparently one painful visit to Corinth is enough. So here is where we see the great apostle, one of the most influential people who ever walked on this planet, up close and personal. The fact that this group of people, we call them the Judaizers, and this is no intended disrespect to Judaism. It's simply people who are telling Gentiles that in order to become Christians, they first must become Jews and keep all the rules and regulations that many of the Jews of that day couldn't even keep themselves. So the Judaizers and Paul's opponents in Corinth, in that specific church, were doing everything in their power to discredit this apostle, even though he is rightly called the father of the church at Corinth. So, this is one of those times, and may I again elaborate on a principle. Anyone who lives for God and does the right thing will face criticism. It comes with the territory. It's not a picnic, but there are ways to handle it so you can stay above the fray and keep on flying for the Lord. So, instead of contending with other chooks in the barnyard, you put on the eagle's wings and just soar in the heavens to the point you're virtually oblivious to what 
they are saying and doing. Or as I believe David said in the Psalms, I had one blind eye and I had one deaf ear. I just didn't pay attention. And most of the time, the response you should give to criticism is no response at all. Don't fight back like some kind of street fighter. You've got a call to fulfill, a life to live, a destiny to apprehend, people to meet, things to do. If you stop and contend with critics and those that are in the flesh and those that are just plain difficult, then they've already won because they got you to stop doing your call and start interacting with them. So most of the time you don't respond, but there will come those exceptional occasions where a brief crisp response is in order. And in Paul's case, he's coming to that very point. In fact, Truly, the epistle, on and off, is Paul having to contend with this recalcitrant minority at the Church of Corinth who are basically becoming the the yeast or leaven that's going to leaven the whole lump. So he's going to, in this case, answer their ridiculous charges. He is not, as so many people think of Paul, the bull in the china shop, a bulldozer that rides roughshod over others. No, Paul is God's authorized appointed, anointed messenger. And he shares a depth of emotion and a pouring of love that can take his critics by surprise and is actually unprecedented anywhere else in the New Testament. He had a change of travel plans about coming to Corinth. And it's not because he's fickle or, shall we say, spineless. It's because he actually loves this church so much that he wants to basically spare them of grief. He's determined not to return to Corinth in heaviness and sorrow. So in 2 Corinthians 2 verse 2, he says, For if I make you sorrowful, then who is he who makes me glad but the one who is made sorrowful by me? In other words, this is his catch-22. Why does he not want to come in sorrow to Corinth? Because he will make sad the very people who should be bringing him joy, namely his children in the faith. If the very people who should bring him joy instead are sorrowful, then who's going to cheer him or them up? It is like the child weeping at the door of the kindergarten. This is very true. I've seen this. The first day of kindergarten, the child is taken to the kindergarten and the child weeps. I mean, really weeps. For whatever reason, they find the kindergarten strange or they don't want to go in. So what happens? The parents are standing there. Of course, they're a bit emotional too. They're saying goodbye to their baby, releasing baby into basically a big kid's thing called kindergarten. What happens? Sometimes the parents start crying. So here you have at the door of the kindergarten, the child is crying. The parents are crying. Who's going to comfort the child and the parents? Well, I guess other parents or the kindergarten teacher. In a sense, this should be a happy day, a promotion day, but people are crying everywhere. I commented about this to a church that has a kindergarten where children and parents cry on day one. And the response of the pastor is, well, yes, this still happens, but not every child cries. Well, you know, all it takes is two or three, and you can have a real morning session. Paul didn't want that. He wants joy because he knows that joy is the portion of the church. That's why he wrote a whole epistle about joy. That epistle is called Philippians. So he wants to, of course, avoid a weeping saga at the door of the church or in the church itself. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 3, he does a bit of troubleshooting to avert a sad, heavy visit 
Paul decided instead of coming in person, he wrote an epistle instead because he didn't want to make the Corinthians sorrowful. And then he would be sorrowful because of them, like the weeping parent and child at the kindergarten door. He has confidence that his joy is the joy of them all. So now, as we get to 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 4, we start to see that Paul doesn't just have a great mind ahead, he also has an equally great heart. So when Paul wrote to the Corinthians, he did not do so in coldness, callousness, hard-heartedness, authoritarian demeanor. He actually says, and let's read the verse here, 2 Corinthians 2, 4, For out of much affliction and anguish of heart I wrote to you, with many tears, not that you should be grieved, that you might know the love which I have so abundantly for you. So basically what is being said here is he's writing to them in distress, anguish, affliction, and many tears. That doesn't sound like somebody who's callous, hard-hearted, or the like. Now, he's not telling them this so they're going to feel bad. He's not wanting them to feel bad. This is a church that, for the most part, had repented. When somebody repents, the last thing you want to do is heap sorrow on their heads. On the contrary, repentance is a cause for great rejoicing. Indeed, repentance is a cause for salvation and or revival. And joy is the portion of repentance. For those who are not sure what this word repentance means, can I say it is one of the fundamental doctrines of the Christian faith. You can read it in Hebrews 6 verse 1 and verse 2 for that matter, six fundamental doctrines, or in the book of Acts, I think it's chapter 20 and verse 21, repentance towards God and faith towards our Lord Jesus Christ. Repentance is a word we need to hear a whole lot more of than what we've heard. And it means to change, a willingness to change, to forsake old and degenerate and depraved and sinful ways, to turn around 180 degrees instead of going the way one has been going, which is destructive, and a one-way ticket to hell itself. They turn around and they face God with a new attitude, new actions, new words. They face God and they go all the way, God's way. That's repentance. When people repent, it's a cause of rejoicing not a cause of sorrow. That's why Paul doesn't want to give them sorrow. He only mentions about his distress and his tears and his anguish so they will understand that he cares, that he loves them. He treats them like his own next of kin. That's how important they are to him. He is truly an apostle with a heart. And remember, he does this work of being an apostle, not for the money, Absolutely not. He does it because it's his call. It's out of love of God. It's out of the fear of God. And that's where the fear of God is so indispensable and so needful. The beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. Hating evil is the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge as well. And the fear of the Lord says, basically, woe to me if I don't fulfill my call. Not because God is sitting there with a big club ready to hit us. It's because we're going to miss out on God's best and receive the ultimate blessing if we don't fulfill our call. Many are called, but few are chosen, because the chosen say yes, and the chosen are willing to pay the price, and the chosen stay in the fear of the Lord. Where the called people don't stay in the fear of the Lord, they don't want to pay the price, and they want everything served to them on a tray with a TV dinner in front of the television. Well, we don't need that. Finally, in 2 Corinthians 2, verse 5, Paul says, I'm fine, and <laughs> what about you? But if anyone has caused grief, he has not grieved me, 
but all of you to some extent, not to be too severe. All right, Paul says that if anyone else has caused grief, he, the apostle, is unaffected. However, the Corinthians may be affected to some extent, but not too severely. What we think verse 5 is, is a reference to the incestuous man of 1 Corinthians chapter 5, the man who had his father's wife. It may be that he just had an affair, or it actually may be that his father had died and he married his father's widow, a stepmother. We don't have the details, and probably that's just as well. But what we do know is if this man caused grief, it really wasn't to Paul, it was to the church. He has not grieved Paul, but he has been a heavyweight for the congregation. Yet, don't be too hard on this same man either, which is a surprising note come from Paul. Because in essence, friends, what Paul is doing is he's emulating, as God's apostle, the nature of God himself. When it comes to righteousness, sin, and God's holy standards, God is very firm. And thank God he is firm, because we don't don't need wishy-washiness, especially from the creator of the universe. But when people repent, he is like the father in the parable of the prodigal son, full of love, full of mercy, full of compassion, gets out the fatted calf, throws a party for the son that was once dead, but now is alive again. Just as the father was in the parable of the prodigal son, just as Paul is right here, warm and loving and embracing, that's how God is too. If you've got ideas that he is, the Lord is in some perpetual bad mood, ready to hurl thunderbolts at the next person who sins, you obviously don't understand the God of the Bible. He is holy, he is righteous, but boy, he is also merciful to those who repent. Friend, if you need to repent, if you need to change your ways and come back home to the God who cares for you, sent his son on the cross to die for your sins and rise again for your justification, who has a hope and future for you, I'll give you a chance to do that in just one moment. First of all, our lesson for life. Like Paul of old, don't be afraid to be wisely transparent and emotional since passion is in fashion. Let me say it again. Paul of old, don't be afraid to be wisely transparent and emotional since passion is in fashion. And remember to visit us at our Facebook page, Teach All Nations Education. And thank you for liking our page or visit our homepage and sign up for the free monthly Issachar teaching e-letter with articles on the Bible, Christian living, and current events in the light of God's word. Let's pray a prayer of repentance. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word in 2 Corinthians. All we like sheep have gone astray, but we have heard the word and we come back to the shepherd and chief bishop of our soul. We come to you, we surrender to you, and we ask you to forgive us of our worldliness, our sinfulness, our bad attitude, and our bad actions. And thank you for the new birth, the cleansing of our bodies and spirits through the blood of Jesus, for forgiveness of sins, and the gift of eternal life. Through Christ the Lord, amen. Today's On The Rock was brought to you by Teach All Nations. If you would like more information about this ministry, to download podcasts, view our online store, attend special events, sign up for our teaching newsletter, make a donation to support this ministry, or to invite Dr. Camille to speak, log on to www.tan.org.au or write to us at Post Office Box 493, Mount Waverley 3149. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.